Welcome, everybody. Thank you all for coming this evening to this uh, wonderful Inside Film event uh, here at the Swanston, newly appointed Swanston Academic Building. So, RMIT, University and Film Victoria are here to present Inside Film, uh, a chat with Jack Binder, Hollywood producer, and Anthony or Tony Ganane from Melbourne and LA-based producer as well. Just to start off, uh, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. They're the traditional owners of the land where the university stands. And uh, RMIT University respectfully acknowledges um, the elders both past and present. My name is Scott Knight. I work in the marketing department at RMIT and also am studying second year acting as well. So I've got insights or, you know, uh, just as much as you all. Uh, on the understanding of uh, getting the insider, insider trading, shall we say, about the uh, film and television network both here and overseas. Come in and grab a seat. No problem. Um, we might start off with this evening introduction. So our special guest this evening, again, is Hollywood producer Jack Binder and Australian producer Tony Ganane. So Jack Binder has been producing films and television in Hollywood with his brother, writer, director and actor Mike Binder since 1985. He is based in LA and has worked with HBO, Spielberg's DreamWorks, Walt Disney, Columbia Pictures and produced for such actors as Colin Firth, George Clooney, Ben Affleck and Kevin Costner. Anthony, uh, Tony Ganane, is, Mel is Melbourne-born and has produced 62 feature films and miniseries over his 40-year career, including High Tide, The Light Horseman, and The Last Dance. His distribution company, IFM World Releasing Incorporated, has a library of over 150 feature films and TV movies. His Australian production company, FG Film Productions, is developing a slate of productions in Australia for 2012 and 2013 and beyond. He, he was president of Screen Producers Association of Australia from 2008 to 2011, attends major world markets and is based both in LA and Melbourne. Ladies and gentlemen, please make welcome Jack Binder and Anthony Ganane. <laughs> to the couch. Thank you both for travelling such far distances and, you know, distances as well, for coming here today. <laughs> as we heard the other day, he was avoiding kangaroos, so you couldn't get more metaphorical the other, um, than that on his way back. So what we might do is um, start off the situation uh, by having a bit of a, a conversation uh, for about half an hour or so, and then we'll break into a bit more of a forum or ask some questions. If there's anything um, that you'd like to, to ask at any point, just feel free to just, just jump the hand up and we'll sort of jump in with some questions at that stage. I guess it might be best to sort of start off with uh, how you got involved into being a producer, uh, into that particular role in the industry, what the steps were that you took that ended up to, uh, to start off in that particular area. Maybe we'll start with, with you, Jack. Okay, great. Thank you. And thank you for having me here. It's great to be here. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dr. Sean Wilson and Kelly Bozeman and Film Victoria for having me here. Um, I started out in, uh, in actually in comedy concerts. I went to uh, electrical engineering. That's what I studied at Michigan State University yep. for no apparent reason. <laughs> and um, went immediately into uh, promoting comedy concerts uh, back in my home state of Michigan. Are you a bit of a budding comedian as well? No, I'm not. My, ah. Actually, my brother was a stand-up comedian at the okay. time. And he was doing the nightclub circuit, and we decided to put together an evening of comedy and music. So we put together a band, and, 
and brought in comedians from Los Angeles, and we were very successful at that. We were selling out theaters in the Detroit area, and uh, Ann Arbor, where the University of Michigan is, Kalamazoo, Western Michigan. Mm -hmm. And after a few years of doing that, uh, we decided to raise some independent financing to film the concerts, and so we eventually right. ended up doing that. Uh, filmed it, one of the first film concerts, comedy concerts besides uh, Richard Pryor's uh, f uh, famous uh, film uh, concert that he had done, um, which was a, a real lesson in filmmaking because we didn't sell it at first. <laughs> it took a while, so uh, we, we had that in, a can, in the can for a while, but we enlisted the help of George Carlin, the American comedian. Ah, yeah. He came into town one day, and so we... Uh, we knocked on the backstage door and got ourselves in there, and he helped us with, with uh, getting it to HBO and getting it, making the sale there. And so then I realized that this was the way to go, and I really enjoyed this industry, and moved to California, where I promptly, promptly had to start over again at the bottom and uh, get coffee uh, for the producers of several HBO shows and worked my way up uh, through production. Eventually, uh, uh, coordinating a 24-camera live uh, show called Comic Relief, oh, the Comic Relief shows, yeah. which was to uh, help the American homeless population. Um, and then I went to work for Michael Phillips. I was his uh, uh, <coughs> assistant and then VP of Creative Affairs. Michael Phillips was the Academy Award-winning uh, producer of The Sting and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Flamingo Kid, Taxi Driver. Uh, he had, uh, Michael and Julia Phillips are pretty famous American. And how did you find that experience? Was it tough, rough? Was it hardcore? That was an interesting experience. The I answered an ad in Daily Variety for assistant to like, Academy Award winning producer. And uh, the day I, well, I, I obviously interviewed and I, I got the job. And the day I showed up to work, 45 people were walking out the door. Uh, and dropping boxes off of my desk saying, good luck, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> downsizing, that's what I call downsizing. <laughs> big major downsizing. It was, it was uh, Michael Phillips and Michael Douglas's company, you might remember at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a real learning experience. We had, uh, we had like five put projects at the different studios and writing assignments and directing assignments. So it was really, it was a challenge. It was a, it was total immersion learning experience. Yeah. And I really got involved in the industry at that point. Um, and was it from that point that then you and your brother started developing more projects together? Absolutely, absolutely. I was encouraging my brother to write. He was a very funny comedian and looking for the next segue in his career. And oh, so you were his muse? I was uh, <laughs> a, bit, a bit. I think his wife kind of took that role. But, <laughs> but I, I did encourage him to write and, and he did take it up and he, he, he's, a, he's an excellent writer. And so he, one of our, one of our first films was picked up and uh, uh, we, we were off and running to, to producing that film. His first film actually was uh, directed by Joe Roth, who became the, the head of 20th Century Fox. And uh, they actually, Universal, it was a Universal film, and they knew he was about to be the president of Fox, so they really didn't get too behind the film. <laughs> it was called Coupe de Ville, but it was a true story of my father and his two brothers that are uh, meant to drive a, a Cadillac from Michigan to Florida. Okay. To surprise their mother, and so then we we sold another one to the Outlaws. I don't know if you're familiar with no, the Outlaws. No, no. Uh, Bobby Newmeyer and Jeffrey Silver. Uh, 
brought, brought uh, our, uh, Mike's second film that he wrote called Crossing the Bridge. And we went and uh, financed that independently. And so had you sort of branched out and sort of really established your companies by that stage, or you were still also working? No, this was really kind of the beginning of our, our first independent film together. So that, that was the start of it. It's called Crossing the Bridge. Right. It was with um, Stephen Baldwin, Josh Charles, and Jason Gedrick. And, uh, but that was the start of our, our independent film career. We, we didn't get around to forming a company until a couple years later when we were on the lot at Disney. And I said to my brother, I said, we should have a company name. He said, what, what do we need a company for? I said, well, you're a director. That's <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, that's my start. That's well, you know, um, I grew up here in, 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 in Melbourne. Uh, and um, the eldest uh, of, a, of, a, of a family. And my parents were both in law. And it was, you know, sort of, I had a, I had a, be the one who who went off and did that so at that other uni as well wasn't it Melbourne, just up the road Melbourne, Melbourne uni yeah. I, 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 I was working through a law arts degree and you know it's hard to believe but at that point of time back in here in, here in Australia in, in 66 65 we, we didn't have a film industry we hadn't had a film industry in Australia since before World War II we had a flourishing film industry in the silent days and a flourishing film industry in the early sound days through the 30s and 40s and then through a series of events the two major companies that were involved in film production the greater union organization was or the union theaters greater union organization was bought by the rank organization in the uk and hoyt's theaters they still exist but hoyt's theaters then were bought by 20th century fox and so through all that period of time, there really wasn't a, a, a need uh, to produce Australian films because the exhibitors were quite happy, um, frankly, with the line of product that they were getting out of the, out of the UK and out of, uh, out of the US. So um, that was what it was like growing up. And I guess I, you, you'd see films like On the Beach or you'd see The Sundowners or some of these, these movies that were... In a, you know, American or UK company shooting here in in Australia in the in the 50s and 60s, and then of course I was in my second or third last year at university, and suddenly there, there was a change of government in Australia, a number of it, it, things that happened, and um, I, I guess because there had been no film industry, unlike you know in the US where you, you were coming in as you say, at the bottom, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting the coffee producers. There were no producers here to get coffee for it. You couldn't come <laughs> into the industry in, in that way. There was no film school at that particular point of time. The film school came a, a, a little bit later. All there was was a little bit of television production in Melbourne and Sydney that had come from the, you know, in Melbourne from Hector Crawford and TV Make It Australia campaign, uh, you know, using actors who'd really cut their teeth on radio and producers who'd cut their teeth on radio. So suddenly <clears throat> there was a change, and there was a change, first of all, in relation to uh, censorship. Uh, Australia had the second strictest censorship in the world after South Africa, uh, and great films in the 50s, you know, films by Bergman and others would be cut dreadfully here. 
so there was a change and, 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 and the R certificate was introduced and at the same time a number of government measures at the federal level were brought in to, to fund uh, the idea was we want Australian theatre, we want Australian cinema and there was a federal government initiative and then there were a number of state government initiatives. South Australia first with the South Australian Film Corporation, Film Victor Victorian government very, very early in the process with the original film Victoria. And suddenly there was a suggestion that, um, you know, you, there might, the fil a film industry, a, film, a career in film might be something that a person could conceivably contemplate. Um, but of course at the time, because I guess those people who were interested in film were, you know, it was a bit like if you were in music you wanted to be a rock star and if you were in film you wanted to be a director. So, uh, you know, the, the kids that I knew uh, at, 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 at university when all of this was starting up, well, I want to be a director, blah, blah, blah. So I suppose I sort of thought, well, that's not necessarily a bad idea, but they're going to need some producers. You know, and um, so in my third or fourth year at university, I had actually, part of that was driven by another event, which is I actually got left $5,000 and managed to raise another $5,000. So I made a movie. I wrote it, directed, produced it, black and white, 70-minute sort of thing, very you know, new wave all over it, big obeisance to French cinema at the, at, the, at, the, at the time. It didn't take a dollar, although I did sell it to Fiji, which was one of the, <laughs> you know, I, I, very, very early on I was getting some fine sales in on something that ought to have been buried. But what it did teach me was um, I, I didn't actually like directing very much, I, I, partly because I think I'm a Gemini and I like to do a lot of stuff at one time and I didn't really fancy myself being sort of locked up for a, a year on individual projects. So I thought, no, I'm going to be a producer and, and having almost finished the law degree, that was a, that was, seemed like a smart move. So I, I got together and I figured I'd better make something commercial. So I got together 50 grand, um, raised 50 grand's worth of private money. We've got five people at 10 grand each. And we thought, well, what are we going to do? What can we make? Was it be a, could we could make a biking movie. We could make a horror movie. And then they brought the art certificate in, and I thought, well, we could make a sex comedy. Because, you know, Alvin Purple, was a, I, knew, I knew Tim Burst was making Alvin Purple. Village had just, Pasolini, the Cameron and Canterbury Tales were just coming out. Bedroom at Zerka from, uh, from... And there was this moment in time where it was clear that, like what had happened in the States a couple of years earlier, <clears throat> uh, you know, everybody had seen... Everybody was going... Wanted to see, you know, an adult comedy. It's hard for people as young as you to sort of contemplate the notion that, you know, pre-DVD, pre-the internet, etc., a lot of people, the only time they'd actually ever seen anybody naked, uh, you know, it was probably, you know, when they got married, I mean, or when they went to a museum or God, God the hell knows what, but so we thought, you know, if we make a, if we, we'll make a sex comedy, we want couples to come, and, and I got Richard Franklin, who, 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 who was a director who'd done a thing called uh, True Story of Eskimo Nell, which 
Film Victoria invested in actually among uh, so did the AFTC. And Richard Richard had gone through film school in the States that went, went to USC and um, came back and did this movie and it didn't work very well either. So he was like me. He said, we've got to do something. It's going to make money or I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to be a teacher. I can't be. <laughs> God forbid. I said, oh, I'll have to be a lawyer. God forbid. So... Um, so we, 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 we got Ross Dimsey, who, 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 was, who, was, who was a writer and who ultimately came for a while there, was subsequently ran Film Victoria, as a matter of fact, ironically, all these connections. But anyway, Ross wrote this, these ten stories, and the idea was a fantasy a day. So we decided to sort of tell ten, ten funny sort of Chaucerian comic tales, and we couldn't get Australian actors to, you know take their clothes off, tell you the truth. So I thought, what the hell are we going to do now? We've got this money. So suddenly we had this idea, a, a friend of Richard's had just done this thing for Paramount called The First Nudie Musical, I think called, uh, it was a proper movie, funny movie actually, dancing naked people, but with songs and stuff. <laughs> so we figured he must, he must know a bit about where to find actors who will take their clothes off. So he did, as a matter of fact. So I can remember it now, it was Boxing Day, Boxing Day 19... A few years had passed between the time I made the, the picture that I directed and wrote and didn't make any money and the time we did this, about six or seven years, and I'd started buying films. You know, when you're at university, a university was free in those days, but you still, you still have some money because you have some fun, you know. So I started buying movies, making a little bit of money, putting them into drive and stuff like that. I learned a bit about exhibition and distribution through that. And then, as I said, 75 got the $50,000 together, it was last year of law school, finished the arts degree, last year of law school, we get on a plane on Boxing Day, we go to the States, and we do a, a film a day, a story a day, bang, 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 and we come back, come back here to Melbourne, and we decide, we do the linking stuff, so somehow other Natalie Miller, who runs the Nova now, but she was, she was just a young kid then, um, knew John Bluthel, who's a British actor who was in the goon, so he figured he can play a crazy professor and he'll tell all this wacky stuff. So he did. And we made the movie for 50 grand and um, it ran 14 months in one cinema here in Melbourne, the Denny Collins Street, um, three months in Sydney. Took about $600,000 by the time it was by the time it was finished. So it was a monstrous success. I've never had a film as successful as that ever again in terms of, <laughs> in terms of dollars returned on, on, on dollar investment. But the distribution company the, that, that had it then said, well, hey, this is great, let's do a sequel. So we did a sequel, but of course it was a year later. We, this time around we used a director, he's no longer alive, I won't mention his name, but he didn't have a sense, Richard Franklin had a sense of humour, this guy didn't have a sense of humour. Couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't laugh to save himself, honest to God. He was married to a pretty gal, but he wasn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't laugh. So the film wasn't that funny. But worse, by the time, by the time it came out, that every, when Phantasm came out, everybody, you know, couples were going to see these movies. All the girls from Brighton and what have you were taking their boyfriends to see the movie and going back two or three times, look, look, look at the size of that. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, but second movie was finished, over. Suddenly it was just, you know, desperados going to, going to see it. It only ran like three months. And of course, as you do with sequels, stupid, we spent 70 grand on this thing rather than 50. So that sort of wiped out a bit of that. But the good thing was, 
that the investors who are in that and the distribution company in that had said, look, we like what you're doing. Let's see if we can set up a production company. And, and Villa, Burst, Tim Burstall and, and co had a relationship with Roadshow with, through Hexagon. And so we set up a relationship with a company called Filmways, which was the original owners, the original Dendy. And we thought, well, what are we going to do next? And then, well, I figured better be something. I, mothers wouldn't let me take their daughters out, so I figured I'd better do a, better do a kid's picture, a G-rated picture <laughs> or something. Was, so we did a thing called Blue Fire Lady, which was a thing about, it was like National Velvet Down Under. And it was Mark Holden, you know, who's now, he was a kid then, um, good singer then, those days, actually. Anyway, he was in it. We, had, we brought Catherine Harrison's down, it was, I started my quest to bring, you know, headline actors into the country. So this, this woman was Rex Harrison's granddaughter. But she'd been in a thing for Louis Mal called Black Moon and she'd been in a couple of other pictures. She was a, you know, smart, smart, smart young actor. And so that, that did well and then, we, and then the, the, the group, the, the distribution group brought in three other partners and the son of one of those partners, Bill Feynman, became my partner. And then we made Patrick, which was in 1978, which we're remaking now, believe it or not, 30-some, whatever it is, 33 years later or something. And Patrick was a huge success overseas. I mean, still the 34th highest grossing non-American, non-Italian picture in Italy, Germany. And sort of went from there. So between about 1976 and 1980, I did about 12 pictures. We just did them back to back. And we, I guess we did, we worked with Film Victoria, we worked with New South Wales Film Corporation, we worked with the original West Australian Film Corporation, South Australian Film Corporation, bang, 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 bang. And, um, and then 1980, 1981, they, they, as, as, as governments do, they decided, hey, instead of doing, we're gonna change it. Instead of doing direct, direct funding, we're going to bring in as a tax benefit. So they brought in 10B, which became 10BA, and so that sort of ran through the 90s, and that was a lovely time. Made a lot of pictures, and um, then they swung it around again. To anyway, that's how I got started. Here I am, <laughs> and it's all been a great, been a lot of fun. <laughs> and it's almost like it's always come full circle because one of your first pictures you said was Patrick and, and now you're redoing the Patrick film yeah. with uh, Rachel Griffith. Rachel Griffith and Charlie Dance and uh, Shani Vincent shooting down at Docklands as we all actually had at Mintara somewhere out near Lansfield, Romsey tonight but mostly we're down at Docklands through until Christmas so it's going very nicely. It's quite, it's, it's strange actually. It's sort of like, it's not a, it's not like Gus Van Sant with Psycho. It's not a um, it's not a line by line uh, rework at all. It's a, it's a sort of a refiltering of the of the story. But it's it's close enough to the original that you that it's sort of right, creepy. Not creepy. Not exactly <laughs> creepy. Just I guess it just makes you feel wow. Where did those thirty five years go? You know? uh, that's <laughs> probably what it makes you think. I guess out of all the movies that you've sort of produced uh, over these periods of time, is, is there one that's probably your favourite? And I, I guess for what reasons? Was it because of the way that it all came together, kicks a mask to get it all, you know? The money, the budgets, everything happening, you know? Was there one that you can sort of name? Yeah, um, uh, actually two. I, 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 
did a film called The Upside of Anger with Kevin Costner, Joan Allen, yep. uh, Evan Rachel Wood, and um, it, I shot that in London. And so that was that was a great experience for me to go over to London and, and film. Uh, and it was actually set in in my home state of Michigan, but uh, due to the uh, sale leaseback. Remember the sale of lease back I sure deals. do. I, I mean, uh, we did a few of those. It was yeah. kind of a precursor to the film tax credit that England was offering. And uh, so that brought us over there. The financiers wanted us to shoot it in, in London. And so that started um, a, a, a kind of a love affair with shooting in London for me. So I, I really enjoyed shooting that film. I, actually, I went, that encouraged me to go back, I helped write the Michigan film tax incentive based on that and use that as my argument. As I'm, well I'm, I'm shooting well this film in London that should be set in Michigan. But it, that was come a, that, back, come back. Absolutely. And, and that was doing gangbusters till the, the government there shut that down, unfortunately, mm -hmm. which um, is, is really sad, but it sends us around the world making films. But, but that was, I really enjoyed making that film because uh, it really, it was a challenge to go learn a new system of filmmaking and, and in a different country and uh, kind of got me out of my box of comfort zone of where I was making movies. And it was great to work with Kevin Costner. He was, he was a dream to work with. Yeah. Uh, you must find on a global scale, is it, does it, the role of producer differ greatly from when you're producing in, in America or in, in the eastern states to the western states to to over to, to London, to Europe? I wouldn't say so much the role of the producer, but kind of working with the, syst the local systems and the local finances and the local production apparatus is, is, a, diff is a challenge. You know, you, the different unions, the different structures of crew, the different styles of filmmaking, you know, between, you know, England, Australia, and the United States. Are very different styles of filmmaking within the crewing up and execution of the production. Do you have a, a bias or a preference as to a, a, an area or geographical area that sort of works best for you? And, uh, and why? I guess? Not, not particular. I mean, I really did enjoy shooting in London. I mean, that was, it was a great experience to be there. It's very expensive, but yeah. uh, there, there, was, there were advantages, like I said, with the, uh, with the film tax incentives. Are very helpful, and what is that's what's great about um, you know the current state of affairs is the entire world is competing for those production dollars. Mm. So it, it I, I, they're all interesting. They're all interesting, and as a <laughs> as a producer, you have to learn all these structures and be able to function worldwide, globally, especially in today's uh, financial environment. Yeah, and and with you, are you finding the same? Situation. I mean, uh, being from Australia to sort of moving over to the U.S. or to the, or to the European markets. Look, I, I I think I think you on the one hand you go where it, it works like this. You find a project, uh, uh, or someone <clears throat> gives you a project, and you throw your arms around it, and then you try and work out how you're going to finance it. Now, if it if it's an Australian-based project, then most likely, given the degree of, you know, support and incentive and related um, assistance that there is here in this country, uh, it, it'd be unlikely, or not totally impossible, but it'd be unlikely that you would take an Australian piece of material and somehow or other 
shoot it on a stage in Lithuania or in Bulgaria or what have you. But conversely, as you know, I mean, I've done pictures in in New Zealand and the Philippines and 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 Eastern Europe, and the reasons for those sometimes they've been Australian scripts, sometimes they haven't been, sometimes they've been scripts from other other jurisdictions. So you you might go, for example, I did eight or nine films back to back in the in the Philippines between eighty seven and. 89, uh, and partly that was to capitalise on the sort of the demand for direct-to-video titles, the ability to sort of simulate Vietnam easily. A number of the pictures were, a number of the pictures were sort of Vietnam War or go, 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 Siege of Firebase Glory, I guess, being the most the most notable of, of, of those. So there you went for production value, for uh, uh, discounted production cost, the ability to uh, work with a, a certain level of infrastructure, the ability to bring in, uh, you know, cast without, uh, you know, the relative proximity to Australia, where we did most of the post we did, we did here in those pictures. Uh, when I did the two pictures I did in Yugoslavia, it was because the studio there in in Zagreb would co invested with me and put in, in, in both cases, you know, essentially 50% of the of the investments sort of below the line facilities deals and throw a little bit more money thrown in for owning the Eastern European rights. Uh, when we've shot in Canada, it's because, uh, you know, the, the, the incentives in Canada are very similar to the incentives in Australia and so on. A thing like Screamers, uh, the Peter Weller thing I did in 96 in, in Montreal, it's, hypothetically, that movie could have been done in Australia, I suppose, but we had Sony were very significantly involved for about 65% of the investment. There were Japanese Fuji TV were involved for 25% of the investment. They they wanted the movie to they wanted us to, to shoot it relatively close to Los Angeles, and at that point of time, Australia hadn't quite yet sort of gotten the, the sort of the footloose reputation that had. That it has now, could I, could one have done that picture in Australia? I suppose you could. I mean, De Laurentiis was trying to do Total Recall here in Australia back in the back in the day. So, do you find with the then incentives, tax-based incentives, monetary the other countries are offering, does it give you more of a negotiation basis then to try and produce these films? I guess locally here in Australia. Do you go into bat for that? Do you start then merging into areas of like political influence? Uh, how, how do you find your role in that sort of realm? Well, I mean, I, obviously when I was running SPA, uh, or I shouldn't say running SPA, when I was president of SPA, um, we spent a lot of time in, in, in Canberra working, endeavouring to maintain, augment and, 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 and maximise, you know, the federal government's support systems for... For the industry here and and the opposition as well, you always have to. The, the beauty of the Australian industry over 40 years is that we've really had a bipartisan support at the federal government level for the for the industry. So whatever your politics may be, it's you know in relation to health or you know education or other issues, the the the, the support for film and television has been pretty consistent between the between the Liberal Party and the, and, and the Labor Party. So you want to keep it that way and you don't want to politicise it uh, 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 too much. The input 
that you that the the experience that one has from Canada or South Africa or or, or, or the UK is is by way of creating exemplars to government to indicate the extent to which we need to be competitive mm. um, in terms of the support systems. Uh, you're obviously looking at the currency issues and the volatility of the uh, of the Australian dollar versus versus other currencies that you're working in. Uh, you know there are union issues, obviously, and, and 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 other things. So I guess wearing my Australian producer hat, yes, I'd be trying to encourage. Um, you know, produce it. It's great that you know somebody like you know Jack is here having a look at it and sort of yeah. you know touching the uh, touching the cloth as it were. So that sort of that sort of an initiative is a is a, an initiative like it uh, is is a great thing. And then conversely, you know, Ausfilm and the state bodies and Screen Australia support Australian producers to go for a you know a week in Los Angeles to take projects from here over there. It's 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 working very well. I mean, when I first opened an office in the states in 1980, the, my goal was to do exactly that: was to bring production to Australia and, and New Zealand, mostly New Zealand, because at that point we'd sort of decamp from Australia because of equity on Race for the Yankees Effort. And I was doing a bunch of movies over in New Zealand with John Barnett, who was a partner with me at the time over there and so we were trying to bring pictures down to New Zealand and we did we got 20th Century Fox brought the thing I did with Tatum O'Neill uh, Prisoners was shot was shot in New Zealand and then we did Mesmerise the Jodie Foster picture down in in New Zealand so we were, we were able to do it but we couldn't yeah. do the cost of running a structure like that in, 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 in Los Angeles to try and bring pictures down here in, in 1980 1981 it was it, it was it was expensive and we really our business plan was to sort of like bring two movies in a year and we, we only wound up bringing about a movie in about every 18 months so we we had to find a way to we had to find a, a way to deal with that now uh, you know it's a blend of Ausfilm blend of the government and the private sector are doing it extremely efficiently so um, yeah you try to uh, you, tr you try to get work here get get work done here you try to produce here obviously uh, you know if you partly live here if your family are here etc etc mm. and sometimes you have to go where the where the work is where the deals are yeah where the, where the deals are which i guess it's just so diverse the role as producer i mean it carries so many sort of different different hands and different levels and that sort of stuff i guess in your own words how would you do, how would you describe that to i guess people that are looking to become budding producers, directors, that kind of stuff. I mean, how would you describe your role as producer? Uh, I always describe the producer role as uh, knower of all, master of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you have to know a lot, uh, a lot of different subjects, but you're not a specialist in any one real area. You hire specialists, you work with specialists, you engage with specialists. But you really just have to have a broad working knowledge of the entire process, and from finance to production, post-production, uh, talent. Um, and then I also have a, another example. People ask me, what's a producer do? Nobody knows what a producer does until something goes wrong. <laughs> then everybody knows what a producer does. <laughs> so. so it's really keeping it all together. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Truffaut said that to, you know you have to be you had to be a business person in the morning and a uh, and an artist in the afternoon, and I think 
at the top level, uh, at the apex, I guess, of what a producer does. It's a delicate balance between, uh, you know, the, the creative component uh, and the business component. And for me personally, you know, uh, as an ex-lawyer or someone who never practiced, but as a Gemini who likes to do multiple things, uh, somebody who loves movies, uh, you know, buys them, writes about them, makes them. Uh, I mean, that that that's that suits me to a to a T. But you, you do. I mean, there are all sorts of producers. There are there are producers who work, who who uh, you know there are executive producers who who, who who are real executive producers and who really sort of almost just concentrate on the financing component of it. There are executive producers who are just there because they happen to be running a distribution company or they happen to be doing this or that. There are associate producers who are just there because they're, you know, the girlfriend's in the movie or, the, you know, so there's somebody's writer, sister's cousin's uncle. You know, there are production managers who probably really should have producer credits but just, you know, don't, don't get them. So it's a, very, it's a very broad church. The bigger the picture... I mean, well, with the first movie, with the second movie, the Phantasm movie, the, 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 the thing that we did in Los Angeles in 10 days, I mean, I did the accounting, I did the catering, probably drove people, helped them paint the set, you know, if we were... So, you know, a little movie like that, you do everything. Yeah. But, you know, on a 20, $25 million movie, there's layers of, you know, delegation. There has to be layers of, of delegation. But you have to... I think it's... Just, just said that you you have to have a good knowledge of virtually every department. You, you, you're not the specialist in it, but you have to know when you're being bullshitted to. You have to know if there's something if something goes awry. You know a few ways to fix it. You have to be a diplomat. You have to be a hard ass. You have to be a, a father or a mother. You have to be a bit Machiavellian at times. You have to be kind. Um, I guess you've got to be a lot of things. And, and, it, and I guess it takes a certain... Not, not everybody can do that. Uh, I'm not saying it's so unique that only us two characters on the couch or, you know, uh, 500 people in the producer's guild or something can do it. But it is a relatively unique set, 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 set of skills. And it, it can be taught to a degree, but it can ultimately, I think, only be learned. It's partly learned through doing partly learn through life lessons, it partly do learn through your own sort of personality and what, 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 what makes you tick and what drives you. I guess out of all that diversity there, Maggot, what is probably your favourite aspect of being the producer? Like, is there one sort of thing that you just really zone in and love? I guess we all have, you know, like the highs and lows of our jobs where, you know, I can't stand writing reports, but, you know... <laughs> I've worked out that I sort of write them along the way now instead of saving it all the way up to the end. But, I mean, is there something about... the variety of it. What I love about it is that every day is different. You know, there's, mm. it's, not, it's not a nine-to-five job. It's every day is different, has different challenges. Uh, a different set of skills need to be used and, and brought to bear on the problem at hand. Um, so it's kind of that, that diversity of, of obligations that makes it interesting. And it's, it's the entire process. I mean, making a film is a year out of your life. Yeah. Uh, so so you, you better enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you really better. Hopefully you enjoy the film. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, I guess your brother gets a smack over the head because he writes most of them, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I guess that kind of leads us into maybe what are the, your thoughts on the, the future of 
the, the film industry, both here in Australia or overseas, the expansion into digital areas around that sort of thing. Um, give us your insider trading, the insights, the crystal ball, I guess. What's going to happen? Well, I think for, for right now is an extremely exciting time. I think we went through a very difficult period over the last four or five years, uh, especially for, uh, for up-and-coming up producers and people getting into the business. It was a very difficult time with the financial collapse, uh, the funding, a lot of funding disappeared from the system, but it's the good news is it's coming back. So I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about uh, about the future going forward. Digital is really bringing to bear a lot of great uh, technology that's enabling uh, so many uh, young filmmakers to to be able to enter the market. It's really lowered the barrier to entry. Do you keep your eye in that kind of area, and sort of you can you're starting to really sort of pull out some of those up and coming. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm constantly on the lookout for, for new talent. Uh, and, and what's great about the technology is it's just it's, it's in the hands of so many people now that can, can uh, go and make their films and make their visions. So it, it's an exciting time. It's, I'm ex ex extremely excited about where we're going. Like I said, it was, it was, I felt like we went through kind of a dark period here. I know. <coughs> uh, I'm not sure how how it was, went affected. Well, you were affected down here, but in Hollywood, it was, it was a very here cold. Because, you know, cold time. we don't get 100% funding. We only ever, even on the most, the most successful business plan for a feature film here in this country, will have a 25, 30% gap that 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 has to be filled, and it, it generally can't be filled. It generally can't be filled. Not sometimes it is, but generally it can't be filled by private investment because there isn't a lot of private investment in, 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 in film in Australia for a whole variety of reasons. So it generally has to be filled out of the market. And so the market, there's a, limited, there's a limited capacity for advances and what have you from the Australian uh, theatrical or all rights market. So you, you're forced one way or other to either, to either look for pre-sales, which became the you know, endangered species, the you know, the dead kangaroo, or gap financing of one form or another based on, on estimates which needed to be banked, which draw, drew you back to the, 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 the banks retreating from the, from the market, etc. So, yeah, we were, we were protected to some degree in Australia by the extent of the subsidy, uh, subsidies here in the country, but we were not... Uh, we were not immune to it, and for the for the larger budget pictures, the 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 the, the more more difficult it, it it became. But I share your enthusiasm. I, I think the Australian film industry, right, the Australian film and television industry, right now is has got, has just got is, is is doing you know so well and has so much promise. The television industry, when I was at a dinner last night uh, with 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 someone who was an ex vice president of Spa and who's the you know, co-owner of a very, you know, arguably one of the more successful, if not the most successful, television production companies. And he actually astonished me by saying, and I've never heard him say this before, he felt that the, the success of Australian television drama in this country right now was that even if there was a wholesale evisceration of local content regulations, or even if the pushes that we are collectively as an industry trying to do to move, you know, uh, a local content obligation onto the free-to-air digitals, even if there was, uh, you know, we, we failed in our 
in our push to try and increase the obligatory spend on pay television. And even if, uh, you know, new media and internet and, and the like, uh, you know, we were not able to regulate them in, in some way, he felt extraordinarily positive that the appetite uh, within Australia for Australian drama and Australian stories on Australian, I won't say television, but whatever way content is being deployed, was such that 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 the you know either the nines and the sevens or the Googles or whatever would have to and would, as a matter of sound business practice, engage in in, in Australian production of television. So television is is fantastic. It's the tra it's a training ground. It's an op it's, it's an opportunity uh, uh, for entrant people to 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 skill up. The feature film industry still disappoints. We are getting better, but we still have a long way to go in feature, in, in feature film. Uh, I guess we've got to the point over the last two or three years, again, where we have one or one and a half breakout pictures a year, whether it's Red Dog or whether it's Sapphires or what have you. But we need and we ought to be able to achieve two or three of those a year. And that's the goal we have to work towards in in, in the theatrical feature film business. But, you know, let's not forget that the theatrical film feature film business doesn't have. No exhibitor has to play an Australian movie. No distributor has to take an Australian movie. They take the ones, uh, you know, that they think are going to work. Sometimes, like Sappho's, they do. Sometimes, like Mental, they don't. But we have to keep, uh, we have to keep pushing in, in that direction because the feature film industry still now is, is the driver. The feature film industry is the only business in the world where you can go from you know, a $10,000 business to a $100 million business with one product. You know, we haven't done that yet in this country, or perhaps, you know, George has to some degree, or Baz has, but we need a dozen of those, of those people to sort of have that, have that breakout choice. But I'm optimistic that that will... I've seen this industry for 40-odd years. I've seen how it's mutated at the feature film level. I've never felt as positive as I feel about the Australian film industry for the, for, for, for the next decade. Our, our actors are, are all over the world now. We, we, uh, our talent is, is, is recognised. We can just focus on getting, on, 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 on getting the story selection a little bit better and the feel-good and the... And the yeah, you know, people go to the movie, they want to... I, said, you, I didn't answer your question earlier. We said, what do I like about this business? I like making people happy. I like making people... I, I like... It's the role of a film producer to bring enjoyment into people's lives, to give them 90 or 100 or 120 minutes where they enjoy themselves. Most people's lives are pretty fucked up, you know. They're worried about their mortgage, maybe their marriage is going down the shitter, their kid just ran away from home, you know. And, and, and I could go on and on and on and on. And we give them the opportunity for 90 minutes or 100 minutes or 120 minutes to be happy. To enjoy themselves, whether it's, whether it's the thrill of seeing the Bond picture or whether it's toe-tapping with the sapphires or, you know, getting the scared to death in Patrick, you know. <laughs> it's, that's what we do. And that's, that's, a, that's a great thing. That's, you know, to be able to come into this, come into this little coterie of people who can tell, you know, make people get the whole world. I was, last weekend I was having breakfast in South Yarra with a colleague of mine and we started talking about Skyfall. And the guy sitting next to me in this little restaurant, don't stop talking, stop talking, I'm going to see that tonight, I don't want to hear about it, don't want to ruin it for me, don't ruin it for me. <laughs> now, you don't hear, even people who are passionate about politics, passionate about, you don't hear that stuff about, 
That's special. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're very lucky to be in this in this business. I guess with such um, expansion globally around the world and everything sort of happening, I guess maybe uh, to sort of finish off on the last point, with a lot of people out there who are looking to move in to roles in producing in the film industry, I guess what would be... What, what are the characteristics you look for in potential employees when people come to you? I mean, what what's really going to seal the deal, I guess, for them to, to, to start working in that particular area? Maybe if you'd like to... Yeah, I always look for people who are well-rounded, uh, highly motivated, uh, that have taken on a lot of responsibility of advancing their skills uh, mm. in, in, in the film business and television business that really have a, a well-rounded understanding and you know, just demonstrated a, a very organized, uh, very forward-thinking. So it, it's kind of a unique set of skills in that to find people that, uh, that, that are, you know, really focused on rounding themselves and having a, a good understanding of the industry, you know, obviously having a good head on their shoulders. Yeah. Uh, but really just doing the research about the, the role of the producer and, and having that enthusiasm and energy because it, it, it certainly requires a great deal of enthusiasm and energy as you can, you yeah, can see right here. Controversial <laughs> question, I guess. But uh, to catch it, why? It's not really me. Do you, do you, do you see a preference in, in applicants that come or potential candidates towards you between people that have gone through maybe a traditional form of study uh, or people that have come with life experience? Like... Is there a noticeable difference yeah. there, or I, I I like to I like to to work with people, and, and what stands out to me is when when uh, um, applicants come to me is people who have re well-rounded real-life experiences. They've been on the set. You know, I've mm. I've told I, I say it all the time. People, you know, once you've gone to your film school and you have that experience, or you have your education as, as quickly as possible, get on the set. You know. Go, grab that coffee for the producer, be the runner of the PA, that gives you a well-rounded experience. Um, you know, work your way into to getting close to the producer, whether being his assistant or his PA, or, or, and, and gain that experience. And then what I also look for is, is a well-rounded knowledge, people who have editing skills, or people know the software that we use in the industry, uh, that have really, you know, spent the time to, to increase their, their skill base, know the, the computer software. They really do work. need to know everything. <laughs> yeah, you, you really do. You really do. And you need to be very well-rounded and have this. So that's what I'm always looking for is, you know, do, do they, you know, have they been trying to work Final Cut Pro? You know, have they yep. been trying to work the budgeting software? Have they been, you know, do they do some writing on their own? Do they have critical thinking? Have they analyzed screenplays, done coverage? You know that the, when you see this, it, that stands out as someone who's really mm -hmm. understands that you you have to have a, a wide that really shines through. Yeah, yeah, a wide set of skills. And Tony, well, I, I, look, I endorse everything that, that 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 Jack says. I think the other things uh, that you have to have, I think there are personality traits that you have to have. I mean, you have that basic set of skills, um, and you demonstrate. Uh, that, you know, on your own dime, on your own initiative, you've gone out and, and done some of these things. But you get said, you know, as a producer, you get a lot of people say no to you a lot of the time. So you have to be, well, you have to have a fairly thick skin. You can't be too emotional. You can't take rejection, uh, you know, personally. 
You have to sort of know how long to stay with a project and push it. You have to know how long to, at, at what point it, it is to drop it or put it in the drawer and you may bring it back in, 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 in six years' time or five years' time. I mean, if you've got an option to it, of course, it doesn't probably only last a year. But anyway, you, 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 you have to balance the persistence that we hear the Gandhi stories of you know, 20 years or what have you. But for every film that people have put 15 years of their life into, there's a, probably 500 pictures that didn't work. So mm -hmm. you, you want to have a batch of projects a slate, they call it now, a batch, a slate of projects at any at any given time that you're developing because you'll never know, you know, maybe maybe the last twilight now, maybe vampires are over for, for five <laughs> years. Maybe they're not, you know, but if, if they are over, you, and, and you, you perhaps you better have a zombie picture. Uh, you know, or, or maybe maybe horror's out completely, and it's time to. We can always go more zombie pictures, I think. Uh, so you you you, you yeah, you got to be you got to be flexible. I, but mostly, look, it's relatively. I, th I think I think you want to, if you want to get into this business, you have to have to stare yourself in the mirror and say, hey, I, I, is this going to make me happy? Because it's very hard work. It seems like glamour. You know, hey, wow, here we are, sitting on a stage talking. I, you know, 40 years, how many years you've been? But believe me, at Screen Australia stats just recently came out. You know, the number of people who've made feature film product, uh, feature films in this country, maybe seven or 800 people, something like 300 of them have only made a second film. A much smaller percentage have made more than four or five. So it's a tough business. It's, it's a very filtrated business. You might think it's your business, but it might not be. The, the, the empowerment of digital doesn't necessarily make it any easier to break through. There's, you know, 2,300 pictures going to Sundance. Uh, for, I mean, going to Sundance. Mm. Apply to Sundance. You know, 150 get screened. 20 of them, maybe, maximum, ever see the light of a projector or whatever the hell, not light, you can't use that expression anymore, can you? <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the equivalent of light of a projector is. So you, you, you mightn't make it. You know, if, if all you people in this room here want to be producers, I know some of you say so you're not producers, but if all of you were, you know, maybe one of you would actually make it. And, and, and that one person probably will have said, this is more important to me than, 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 than my family. This is more important to me than sex. This is more important to me than... It, it's, it's a monastic almost... Maybe monastic stuff. You, you have to be absolutely committed to it. It's, a lot, it's, it's not something you jump into and, and jump out. Well, you should jump out of it. It's not going to work for you. But you, you might not make it. But you got to, if you if you love it, or you think you love it, if it makes you happy, or you think it makes you happy, then you got to you, you should try it. But it'll be hard, and we and we've got it relatively easy here in this country compared to, you know, you, you go to a state body and get some development money, you go to Screen Australia get some development money, you, 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 you film school. I mean, it's this is not it's this is not. Compared to when I was, there were no film skills when I was growing up. I went, first film I did, I had to find a 16 mil, you know, you had to have film. That cost, you couldn't, that was expensive. 
you know, equipment. You know, I mean, but it's still hard. Mm. And it will always be hard. And that's because there's still only a finite amount of genius in the world. Just because everybody can make a movie doesn't mean it's going to be good. There'll still only be, you know, 100, 200 great movies in every, in every decade, if that many. It's not going to change. There isn't some... Gen Digital didn't suddenly mess genetically and brought a whole lot of Da Vinci's into the... So, you know... <laughs> yeah, let's uh, be committed. <laughs> get out there and try it. But be ready to become a lawyer or a doctor or a you know, <laughs> psychiatrist or something, uh, you know, after... Or, you know, or, 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 or win the lottery and then you can be... You know, a self-funding producer. Self-funding producer. <laughs> um, I think that might be a, a good time to open up any questions from the audience. If anyone would like to ask Tony or Jack any questions, it's a chance to sell yourself. Yes. Um, I write and sell e-books over Amazon. And a little while back I was approached by Damien Sagani, who's a Hollywood producer, who's interested in auctioning one of my books. Anyway, I don't think that it's actually going to go anywhere at the moment because he's actually changed roles. But it's interesting how the net and the technology out there sort of opened up, you know, that doorway. I'm just sort of wondering, with the technology that's out there these days, do you think it is sort of opening doors that would have been firmly shut, say, 10 or 20 years ago? I think certainly. I mean, just from, you know, what your example right there is definitely demonstrates that I mean, the ability to email screenplays, I mean, as simple as that might sound, I mean, that's, you know, t removing the, the whole conquest of getting a screenplay to a producer or to a distributor. And how do you get it to them? How do they get it to the assistant? How do you get it read? How do you... You know, to be able to email it, I mean, it just sounds so simple now. We take it for granted, but what a breakthrough. I remember when I emailed my first screenplay to someone. <laughs> was uh, I mean, when, uh, go, go back further. I mean, the, the, the DVD or, or putting your material up on, online. I mean, the first, I mean, you used to have to carry a 35-millimeter print, <laughs> you know, on the airplane with you to, to New York. You had a higher screening room. You had to schlep that thing in a taxi around New York, around around Los Angeles. I mean, they were heavy. Believe me, they were heavy. Five wheels. Uh, yeah, and uh, and you know now, so all of those things, all of all, all, yeah, that's it's 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 wonderful. But I mean, that's just a general observation, isn't it, about the the the, the impact of technology in general and the ability for people to to, um, you know, sell or create or, or, or distribute uh, with such ease and facility. But like I said, you know, still, still a finite amount of, real, of, 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 of genius. Anyone else would like to ask another question? Yes. Um, what do you look for in a good script? Well, uh, give us the golden ticket here. Yeah, right. Uh, well, you know, I think the 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 universal uh, uh, answer to that would be just great writing. I mean, that's what I look for is is incredible writing. Obviously, the concept has to be good, the setting has to be good, the characters have to be good, the dialogue has to be good, and and all that leads to the equation into the equation of just fantastic writing. I mean, you'll never make a great movie out of a, a bad script. 
So the script has to be great. So I'm looking for something that just blows me away, that when I read it, I just go, this is a talented writer. How many scripts roughly are you reading uh, a week, a month, or...? Well, it varies uh, consistently, but a lot. <laughs> a lot. I mean, I, I, I probably receive about 50 a month, uh, at least, at the, at the minimum. And, and how many of them would be relatively good-ish? <laughs> Uh, still waiting. Still waiting. No, um, <laughs> no. You know, I'd say you know it's hard to say. One in a thousand, you know, might be good. Well, it might yeah. flag your interest. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's sort of similar for you. For well, you, so. I mean, j just to answer your question and then to answer your question, I think for me, it's it's if if I read something, I w does it move me? Do I feel some sort of emotional connection with either the story or the hero? Um, or the events that, that transpire. If I don't feel some sort of, either I feel afraid, or I feel like I'm going to cry, or I feel like I'm going to, you know, some sort of sense, you know, I don't know, a 90 minute screenplay probably takes me about an hour to read a, read, read, read a screenplay. I'm just, just reading a cold, maybe a little longer. I, I want to feel that Somehow or other, I've, I've been taken out of myself. I've been taken somewhere else. And, and it's, in, it's different, and it's interesting, and, and it's emotionally... There's, there's a kinetic emotional... It's, it's, it's like seeing a, somebody in a room, and you suddenly say, hey, I'd like to go out with that girl. You know, it's like, that's, that's how I relate to a script. You know, could I take it out? <laughs> you know? And then, and then as to... For me, I, I mean, we, we're sort of bifurcated because I, I get a lot of material in as well, but we also get material in that, or, or we also sort of develop and create material ourselves from, from, from ideas that, 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 that come into the company. I, I tend to filtrate a little bit what I actually read. I, I, I rarely read material from someone I don't know. I, I re it's, it's almost always either people that I've worked with before or people that are two or three steps removed from people I've worked with before. If it's, we'll, we'll look at a one-pager, we'll look at stuff like that, and you get hundreds of those in every month. But, but you know, maybe it's just I'm getting older, but, I mean, there's only a finite amount of hours in the day. I mean, I try to watch every movie that comes out. You know, I've got my own stuff that I've got to look at. We're working on our own material. So something's got to be pretty special to come in for, for, from somebody that I've never heard of or never met for me to actually waste 90, 80, you know, 60 minutes of my life reading it, to tell you the truth. So it's, it's got to come in with, with some sort of pedigree, uh, for me anyway. I'll give you the hand in Ewan, Tony, Tony Ewan. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> there you go, now you know each other. <laughs> A pleasure. And I'm starring in your next film that you're right. <laughs> Excellent. Um, maybe one last question, because I'm just a bit conscious of time, if anyone. Yep. Yeah, do you find um, distributors, particularly Australian distributors, very cautious with what they'll sort of go with, almost, you know, second-guessing what they think an audience will, will or won't want? And how do you sort of deal with that familiarity versus um, originality? You know, I don't think Australian distributors prima facie are any more or less conservative than distributors in pretty much any territory, you know, the United States or Europe or, or anywhere else. And, you know, the, the 
that's that's because, and I think it's what what we do see in Australia is because the the industry in Australia is subsidised at almost every level, except distribution and exhibition. That it comes as a shock to some of us when we discover that there are actually people out there who who get fired if 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 a dozen pictures go out and and, and don't work, or if. Uh, you know, the, they 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 put the thing into two fifty screens and uh, you know spend a million million and a half on P and A and it only does a you know a million dollars. That there are consequences. So that to some degree the, the the wonderful subsidy systems that we have here in this country take away a certain level of of sort of responsibility and a certain level of uh, uh, you know that that hey I you know if I mess up I'm not going to now that said, distributors and exhibitors are conservative everywhere, and distributors and exhibitors tend to rely on what has previously worked. You know, the general analysis uh, of a distributor is that they'll take four or five comps to what your, uh, and they'll and they'll uh, look at what that did in the U.S. or Australia or rest of the world, and depending on what you're asking for and depending on your own picture. So it's it's it's. Difficult. Um, it's difficult for um, distributors to sort of, you know, take a chance. When they do take a chance, it's generally director-driven. Uh, they've had, an, they've, they've, they've either had an experience with the director, or they relate to the director because of a short or some other material they've done. Of course, there's only some distribu. You know, there's Transmission and Madman and Hopscotch. There's a very small group of. Of distributors who will even consider taking that chance, putting out a Dead Europe or a Last Dance or a Law or something like that, you aren't going to get, you know, the the, the major distributors to put that out, and and understandably because their costs of operation there. Mm -hmm. So distribution is tricky, uh, and uh, but you know I think if a piece of work has validity, it will ultimately find some. Distribution path. I mean, you've got exhibition exhibitors here, like you know Natalie at the Nova or what have you. Will take a chance. You, you don't have to have the thirty-five, you know, DCP or something. You can get in there on one screen for a few sessions, work the reviews yourself. You know, get the picture out there, and then and then and then move up. This, the you know the the, the requirement of the offset to have this six or eight or ten or whatever it is screen release or intention to do so is a double-edged sword. I mean, it stops wedding videos getting the, the offset, obviously, but by the same token, it, it you know, it may be that a, that, that, a, that a picture may well make sense just being released on, you know, one screen in Melbourne and one screen in, 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 in Sydney. Uh, so, but how do you get beyond... Look, how long did it take Easy Rider to get a distributor? And that, and that, and that had... You know that had people associated with who 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 were connected. You know with the with, with the family embedded in Sony at the time. So it's hard when things change. If you do if you do something that's not the norm, it, you're always going to find it tricky. Just keep battling away. <laughs> I think that's a great last question to end on. Um, thank you both so much for coming in and sharing all your insights into the film production well, both locally and from overseas. Uh, it's been great to have you here. Thank you all for your questions and for, for coming in to being part of the audience here with Jack and Tony. Um, big round of applause. Oh, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. Oh.